0: Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagan, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of
2: Transitions Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. The lovely Nicole Cleggett, I should say. I almost left that off, Nicole. We almost got a minute into the show without me saying that. Well,
0: that's okay. I'm not so sure how lovely I am today considering I've been doing gardening in the heat. Oh, yeah. Man, uh,
2: the the thermostat really uh, cranked up as the week went on. It sure did. It
0: sure did. But I am super excited to have lovely produce this year that I created, so that's awesome. Awesome.
2: Well, I'm going to come over and uh, check out the produce. You know, just a, an inspection to make sure everything's up to code.
0: I'll be bringing you some zucchini because they're growing like you know gangbusters over there for sure.
2: That's what I like to hear. <laughs> we, we need to have you as a guest on the Weekend Gardener program with we are. Mike Rayley and Ann Cloud. <laughs> we'll, we'll do Black Cow. That's right. There you go. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Yeah. WPTF uh, salesmen are all smiling right now. Oh, Hi, good, job, sure good job, Nicole. Good job, Nicole. Well, Nicole, let's get right into it. We've got a jam-packed program tonight, and I'm so excited because. Uh, we're going to be talking with our fo- our friends with the Alzheimer's Association We couldn't talk to them without Lisa Roberts coming in Executive Director of the Eastern North Carolina Chapter Official Friend of the Show Status, Lisa Roberts
3: Yes, I feel very privileged about that Hello Jason, hello Nicole
0: Hey, welcome And we're also uh, glad to have Amy Julian here Who is uh, the Manager of the Walk to End Alzheimer's Welcome
4: Hi, thank you for having me
0: so super excited to have you ladies on today, and I know we have a lot to fit in in a little bit of time, but I know that the Alzheimer's Association has recently released the 2019 Alzheimer's disease facts and figures, and it is a now a known fact that Alzheimer's disease is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. That's a big number. It is a big number.
3: It is a big number. We are looking to defeat that, and but unfortunately right now, Alzheimer's is the only disease out of the top 10 causes of death. It has no way to cure it, no way to slow it, no way to prevent it. So we are really at the cutting edge of research and clinical trials in order to make sure that we put a dent in that. Um, right now, it's affecting over 5.8 million people that are diagnosed. So we know that there's more. And in North Carolina alone, we're looking at over 170,000 people who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's or related dementia.
0: So let's talk medicine for a second here, because I think there is a sort of, I like to be a MythBuster from from time to time time I think there's sort of a belief that a lot of these medications that are out there do in fact slow or stop the disease but the Mm -hmm. reality of it is that's not what those medications are for
3: that's a great point Nicole what those medications do is they actually treat the symptoms. The Mm -hmm. ones that are FDA approved right now that we have for the drug, they actually treat the symptoms and the behaviors that go with the cognitive decline. However, the exciting news and the hopeful news is that there are several clinical trials, not just here in the U.S., but across the world, that are working on disease-modifying drugs. So that means they go to the biologics of what's causing Alzheimer's, and the drug itself will attack the underlying biological reasons and that's what we're shooting for that's what we're raising funds for that's what we're doing what we're doing
0: for well and i want to thank you for the gift that you gave the community back in april by hosting the accelerating the pace conference i had the honor of being there that day and listening to those researchers and wow i mean it sounds like they're literally going to the cellular level really trying to look at the disease in a different way And, and and i did talk to one of the physicians and similarly you know kind of how we're now treating cancer a little bit differently where we go down to that genetic cellular level and we can actually treat a cancer based off the type that it is, we may be able to look at Alzheimer's in a similar way and be able to treat that and attack it differently which I thought was pretty awesome. It's amazing. And
3: now, what we used to hear years ago about eye tests and the, the benefits of PET scans and mm-hmm. what it's allowing us to do, it's really come such a long way. And whether so, or not you
0: can smell peanut butter.
3: There you go, yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. So we're really, we're thrilled about that. And how exciting is it? And you, you heard that at ATP at the conference, that so much research is
0: happening right here in North Carolina. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, you know, a, a project that is really or a group of a cohort of people that are near and dear to my heart are the family caregivers. And I love the fact that you kind of shined a light on them this year on your facts and figures and state that over caregivers of people with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias are providing over 18.5 billion hours of care, unpaid care, mm-hmm. which if we had paid them, that would be $234 billion A year. Isn't it amazing? And Alzheimer's
3: is the most expensive Mm -hmm. disease and public health crisis that we have right now. It is on track to literally break the medical system and the support from that. So it is critical that everyone um, looks at this as a public health crisis Mm -hmm. and works to fight to end it.
0: One of the speakers that I heard recently was talking about, and I believe it was at your conference, was talking about the fact that Checking for cognitive impairment really needs to be part of the regimen of the primary care physicians. That it really just should be almost one an additional vital sign, similar to how we check our blood pressure and our heart rate, and uh, you know things of that. And look in our eyes and our ears and listen to our lungs. Mm-hmm. Checking on where we are cognitively is really important because we can notice some of those small changes as they go along. Absolutely, and that's why we're working really hard at the Alzheimer's Association
3: to do more physician outreach. Because a lot of times the physicians are very familiar with their patients, sometimes they're not, but the patients need to be informed as well when you go see your doctor how important it is your right to have a cognitive assessment and that that's part of your wellness exam. So we really are emphasizing that as we move forward. The caregivers are key, and ALZ.org slash care mm-hmm. takes you directly to our caregiver resource. And one of the events that we have that is so critical, I think, that allows the caregiver to have Autonomy and what they do to raise awareness and raise funds is the longest day. So we're super
0: excited about that. I I would love to switch gears and have Amy Julian talk a little bit about that. You know, often people joke, and, and there's a there's a famous book, actually, it's sort of known as That's the Bible right. of Alzheimer's disease, the 36-hour day, and people, what, what does that mean? And well, the 36-hour day means when you're caring for a person with Alzheimer's disease, it really feels like a 36-hour day, whether it's you're dealing with the behaviors that, that that person is experiencing, or the fact of the physical care and the demands that that takes, or the fact that this goes on for year after year after year, it really feels like an incredibly long day. And so you do something to celebrate and commemorate that every year, don't you? Amy
4: we do yeah so June 21st is literally the longest day of the year the summer (laughs) solstice Um, and so what what the Alzheimer's Association has launched is the longest day It was a couple years ago but basically what we're asking people to do is tap into the things that they love to do so whether it be bowling playing golf playing cards knitting dancing reading um, and we're asking them to do these activities raise awareness, raise funds for the Alzheimer's Association for the work that Lisa outlined that we're doing. Um, By doing these activities um, before the longest day, leading up to the longest day, June 21st, and of course on the longest day. Um, The longest day may be the longest day of the year, but but as you just um, stated, for caregivers, every day is the longest um, day. So the longest day is really um, um, all about celebrating and honoring and remembering caregivers and those that have been, that are living with Alzheimer's and have been lost to Alzheimer's disease.
0: I think that's incredibly creative and and very, very appropriate, for sure. It is.
3: And I love the, you know, we evolve as an organization, as any organization does. And the longest day, the mantra is the day with the most light is the day that we fight. Mm. And really getting people, I mean, people are doing um, bake sales of their grandmother's uh, recipe and selling those cookies that, their grandmother made for the family in honor of their grandmother mm-hmm. to fundraise. Uh, there's so many creative things. We have a Emerald Isle sea,
4: sea turtle, turtle crawl. Crawl. Mm-hmm. I
3: I was like, what is that? You know, until Amy explained it to me, I really didn't understand. But it's amazing, you mm-hmm. know, and that's going out on the Outer Banks. So we'll be dispersed, supporting all of those teams and looking forward to hearing all the creative ways that people are honoring their loved ones.
0: You know, let's talk a little bit about hope because, mm-hmm. you know, so while this is a very difficult diagnosis to deal with uh, on a day to day basis, both for the individual going through it and the family that's surrounding them, there is some hope and happiness through the disease and you know I I manage an online group of family caregivers and yesterday somebody posted a very very sweet sweet video it took courage of their mom you know mom typically wanders around the home while she's eating and she won't sit down and suddenly the family had the idea well what if I put all of her grandkids around the table with her and we, we put the food in front of mom, and then they start singing songs. Maybe, maybe that will get mom to sit there. And you saw mom sitting there eating while the grandchildren were entertaining her at the table. And, you know, those are the moments that those children are going to remember that time that they sat with grandma and they, and they all sang songs together. know, I think about that with my own kids, even running through the sprinkler outside. These are the childhood <laughs> memories we That's hold right. on to. So, while the days are hard, it's awesome to be able to try to find those moments of hope and happiness throughout the day because there are. I mean, I've been a caregiver twice, and there are moments that I look back on fondly. And there are also very difficult moments, too, but trying to find that little piece of bless in a day is so important to keep you fueled for the future. Absolutely. Nicole,
3: you said that beautifully. I think that one of the things that the longest day does is you're doing what you enjoy. It's not that you're participating in a walk, which is really important to us as our nationwide fundraiser, but the personalization behind the meaning behind what you're doing to honor a loved one is really, really deep.
2: It's a great idea and you know as we've heard from the stats from earlier it's it's an issue that needs as much awareness as we can give it. Lisa and Amy, thank you so much for coming in tonight. You're we appreciate welcome.
3: it. Thank, thank you, so much. you so much for having us. We Absolutely.
2: Anytime if you want to find more information again the website alz.org that caregiver's resource that we mentioned ALZ.org slash care. A quick break and back and more with Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: This is Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds
2: You, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And, Nicole, we are going to switch gears a little bit here, and, you know, we're going to be talking about hearing. This is a subject that um, – I don't know if we've broached it on the program here, but, you know, we, we do come back to this uh, subject of isolation, and when when you have hearing impairment or complete loss of hearing – man, that can truly be isolating.
0: It surely can. And I also know that there is a link between hearing loss and a cognitive impairment as well. So I'm super excited to have with us uh, Sarah Fisher, and she is the audiologist for Now Hear This Clinic. And she's going to be talking to us about uh, hearing loss and cognitive impairment and also the fact that May is better speech and hearing loss month. So welcome Sarah. Yes,
5: Yes. thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here today. Um, So it was great that um, the Alzheimer's Association was here talking about Alzheimer's Uh because one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the linkage between untreated hearing loss and dementia. Um, So even a mild hearing loss, which most people would not even come see an audiologist if they have just a mild loss, carries twice the likelihood of a dementia diagnosis. Um, Just a moderate hearing loss, there's a three times likelihood. And then with a severe hearing loss, it's five times more likely that somebody would have dementia. And why is that? So there's a few different theories as to why that may be. One of them is the social isolation component. Um, When people have untreated hearing loss, their world gets smaller. They mm-hmm. don't want to go out to cocktail parties. They don't want to even go out to busy restaurants because they're spending their whole time trying to focus on the conversation. They're not able to enjoy that the was conversation. it's exhausting. Yes, it's very exhausting. Yeah, And,
0: I, you know, my grandfather had tremendous hearing loss. I mean, he was completely deaf if he didn't have his hearing aids. And I will tell you, I, at some point, you just – you don't even want to have a conversation, not trying to be mean, but Mm -hmm. it it just gets, it's irritating for the person trying to communicate with them because you have to keep repeating yourself over and over again too. So then I think even people stop trying to communicate with that person.
5: Yes. Another thing that I see with that is people will have to raise their voice and they're not mad, but the fact that they're having to yell makes them, their emotions get higher and they feel like they're mad even though they're not mad. And it really colors the conversation in an and not good light. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of the other potential causes for this dementia hearing loss um, linkage is that your brain, as we age, our brain shrinks. Untreated hearing loss, the brain shrinks at least a cube centimeter more a year. Wow. At least, so that shrinkage is not good (laughs) when we're trying to keep our brains functioning and to keep um, working for the rest of our lives what other reasons do they think? Um, so that increased brain power to listen, mm-hmm. um, when we're focusing so hard just to hear the conversation, that decreases the amount of brain power that we have to try to remember the conversation. And another you know thing that can happen is if the patient because I I work with patients, if the patient doesn't hear it right the first time, how are they going to remember it? So um, inappropriate responses and reactions to questions and conversations can happen. Um, And sometimes it's not that there's a memory issue, it's that they just didn't hear you. So if you're talking about uh, real estate in Raleigh, which is crazy right now, um, and you're talking about, oh, I'm looking for a house, and they're thinking, they just said that they're looking for a mouse, so they're looking down on the floor, <laughs> trying to figure out where the mouse is, and you're thinking, what What is wrong with my yeah. mom? I yeah. just asked about houses. Yeah. Um, so, th- so some those are some of the linkages. So, is hearing loss
0: kind of similar to m- other sensory losses, like even vision loss? Now, you know, I'm I'm in my 40s, and I'm starting to get the the disease where I'm holding my phone further and further out to read. <laughs> And I, and I haven't yet, I've yet to increase the size of my font. I refuse. But, you know, is it one of those things where suddenly you're like, oh, there's, there's an issue? Does it sort of sneak up on you? Or, or kind of how do you know when it's starting to happen? Because I would imagine for most people, it's not all of a sudden one day you can hear and the next day you can't.
5: Typically not. There can be sudden hearing losses, but typically it's so gradual over time that until a loved one, our family member, or even a healthcare provider brings up that there's a hearing loss, they're not aware um, because most sounds don't typically have a visual component. So, for example, high frequency hearing loss typically is the first thing that happens with adult onset hearing loss. So one of the things that you may not be hearing is birds chirping in your um, in the woods by behind your house. And so unless you see the bird and you can see its little beak moving, you have no idea that it's chirping. And so that's one of the best things. My My outdoorsy patients, when I fit them with hearing aids, they go, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe how many birds there are mm-hmm. when I'm out walking outside. It's great. Um, but that's the thing. Unless you show them what they've been missing or unless there's uh, a spouse walking by going, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Oh, you didn't hear that? There was a sound. <laughs> I mean, that that it's usually very gradual and people just don't realize.
0: I've often heard, too, when suddenly people can hear and then they can but mm-hmm. all of a sudden like their dishwasher is it's so loud or something yep. wrong with the refrigerator mm-hmm. and so then mm-hmm. it can be
5: overwhelming too I'm yes, sure. Yes yes so I had a patient who was initially coming in um, in our little intake form we asked you know what is the reason for today's appointment and literally the patient wrote to prove my wife wrong. <laughs> And so, of course, high frequency hearing loss. were the hearing aids for you know a couple days, and went, like, God, I cannot stand this. I'm gonna have to take them back. And the wife asked why, and he said, Well, you know, there's this beeping noise that happens, you know, once every five minutes or so, and it's just driving me bonkers. And the wife said if you would just change the battery in the smoke detector, that would fix the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So all of a sudden he did that, now loves the hearing aids. That's awesome. So what else should we know about hearing? Um, So the prevalence of hearing loss is pretty darn high so once you hit age 12 um one in five americans have hearing age loss. 12 age 12 and yes. this has to do with all of our earbuds i suspect mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yes yeah. so millennials and I, is it gen gen z gen uh-huh z? yeah that's sorry that's my all kid's generation different. z yes yep. <laughs> those that's the highest um developing population with hearing loss because of the earbuds um so with hearing loss um you know it's it's the third most common chronic disease in in America. So it's only third by heart disease and arthritis. Um, And most people, about 80% of people who could benefit from hearing aids Never get hearing aids. Why is that? Um, there's definitely a stigma. The associated. cosmetic look. I'm picturing yes. my grandfather
0: behind the ear hearing oh, aids gosh. with the dials yep. and you know
5: all the, like the plastic parts that go on the inside mm-hmm. and constantly squealing. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a stigma mm-hmm. associated with that. And so if it's somebody who is in their 40s, 50s, 60s, which is when hearing loss typically starts to become diagnosed, they go, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother. I'm turning into my father. What am I going to do? I don't want to be old. Yeah, it's the midlife crisis. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And one of the things I tell them, other than um, treating hearing loss in midlife is one of the best single most things you can do to prevent dementia later, is that nothing makes you look older than going, huh, what did you say? <laughs> um, and so they, they truly do feel younger <laughs> when they wear hearing aids. Um, and there's all these great techie things that hearing aids can do now. Um, you know, they can be like wireless Bluetooth earbuds uh-huh. um, for listening to music, um, listening to phone calls. Another great thing that they're developing is they're not just hearing aids anymore. They are to improve overall quality of life. They are to improve and increase independent living. So um, one specific manufacturer has come out with hearing aids that have a false detector in the hearing aids themselves. And so you set them up with your smartphone. If the hearing aids detect a fall, it will, you you have the ability to cancel the alert, but if you don't cancel it within 60 seconds, it will notify your three emergency contacts and say that there's been a fall detected and you need to reach out to your mom or your dad or whoever it may be. Right, Um, awesome. Yeah. So talk
0: to us a little bit about Now here This Clinic and what makes you different than everybody else. Um, so,
5: I personally love now here at this clinic just because that's why I chose to work here. Um, so, we've been around a little over seven years now, and what part of what sets us apart is we're not rushing you out the door. So, I typically, on average, double the amount of appointment time that most audiologists get with their patients because I'm the one that's in charge of my schedule we can say, oh, with this patient, we really need an hour appointment, not that 30-minute slot. So you're never going to feel rushed when you're coming in. The other thing is I strive every day to follow best practice care. So a majority of hearing aid fittings that are done in the U.S., are not using something called real ear measurements. And what real ear measurements do is it verifies that what you're needing out of the hearing aid, the hearing aid is actually giving you. So most of the hearing aids fit right now, it's just guesswork. They go, this is the hearing loss, this is your your age, and this is your hearing aid experience level. Set it, and that's it. Sort of like in a
0: logarithm and basically kind of like how they do the the, the, the life insurance. You, yeah, exactly. you fit in this pile,
5: and this is probably what's going to be best for you. Exactly. But just like a small room changes the way something sounds versus a gymnasium, your ear canal does the same thing. And so we need to take that into account when hearing aids are being fit. Um, so that's definitely important.
2: That's great. And the best way for folks to find more information is to go to the website, nowhearthisclinic.com. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. Thank you so much. Sarah Fisher, audiologist with Now Hear This. Thank you so much for coming on the program this evening.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: A quick break and back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that
2: surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Clagett. And Nicole, our uh, cavalcade of stars continues now. And we're going to be uh, shifting gears a little bit, and we're going to be talking a lot about the patient experience. And I I think that's so important for what we discuss on this program and and for caregiving in general and for uh, our loved ones who are receiving treatment. And to do that, we brought in someone with uh, a great background and a unique title. I really like this title, the Vice President for Experience Innovation with the Barrel Institute. And she is Tiffany Christensen. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us this evening.
6: To be here and have this conversation, oh, I'm so
0: excited. I have been following you not in a stalking way for, <laughs> for for quite a while now, and I'm always very empowered and motivated by the things that you have to say. So I'm expecting great things from you today. Oh boy. No, no pressure. I haven't had enough <laughs> coffee for that. <laughs> <laughs> so Tiffany, why don't we start off with sort of if you're if you're comfortable with that, your personal story. Yeah. You know, kind of what brought you into this world, and kind of what what colors the things that you're going to be talking to about to us about in the future.
6: Yeah. Yeah, my, my patient background is what brought me to the world of healthcare at six months of age. So I was diagnosed mm-hmm. as a baby with cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic lung disease progressive. Um, at the time that I was born, I was expected to live to be about eight years old. Obviously, I've been right around the curve of medical in- innovation, which has yeah. allowed me to now to be 45. Um, the other piece of the puzzle that's that has been really significant in my life is that in my early twenties I was placed based on a lung transplant list at UNC Chapel Hill. And in 2000, I received my first double lung transplant, which uh, unfortunately uh, began to reject after a few years. So I was fortunate enough to in 2004, have a second double lung transplant. And now I'm waiting on a kidney transplant. So I figure by the end of it all, I'll just replace all my parts and see how that goes. We'll call
0: you Mrs. Potato Head. (laughs) (laughs) Replacing all your parts and pieces. Oh my goodness. Um, Wow, what a journey that has been. So uh, you definitely saw healthcare from the bedside.
6: Yes, absolutely. And it's been um, something that I think the one thing that for me has been different, is that I have always, and I don't know why, you can ask me why, but I don't know why, (laughs) uh, since I can remember, I've always seen illness as a gift. I've always seen this experience of living with um, death right on my shoulder, um, living with all of these complications and having to interact with healthcare I've seen all of that as a gift ever since I can remember. So for me, um, I think that's helped my journey in giving me this perspective that what I'm doing has meaning and what I'm doing, even if I'm laying in a bed just trying to get through the day, uh, has some lesson to teach me. And so for me, uh, I wouldn't change a thing.
0: So you truly are representative of the butterfly effect. You know, you've had an experience that's happened to you and you've left that ripple on to ha- impact so many others in the work that you've done throughout your career. So I thank you for the gift of you to our community because mm-hmm. it is, it has been phenomenal and I will continue to be so. So let's talk a little bit about understanding that patient experience, because you know, as a family caregiver, uh, I've been a patient a few times in my life, obviously having multiple children, but as a family caregiver, it it feels incredibly isolating watching your family member at the bedside and just trying to be there to be an advocate.
6: Absolutely. And and I will say, as a person who's been a patient my whole life, I would much rather be a patient than a family caregiver. Um, And I say that with all respect. Uh, I find the level, uh, my mother a few months ago had a stroke, so I've had a recent experience with being that family member standing next to the bed in the ER, next to the bed in in the inpatient unit and in the rehab. And I will say that the level of Hopelessness, helplessness, mm. um, frustration, um, not only with trying to navigate the healthcare system, but also trying to navigate really complex family dynamics. <laughs> yeah. That, that There's come none up. of that. No. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever experienced that. <laughs> um, so when those things come up, you know, for me anyway, I, I suppose I was, even with my background, quite naive. Um, that really hit me harder. In a lot of ways, the family dynamics were more challenging than anything
0: else yeah I will say you know that that was a huge eye-opener for me too you know when I was a caregiver for my grandfather you know after being working in the senior care industry for a good 10 years at that point you know I pretty much knew the players I knew the resources and and then suddenly when I was caregiving for him holy cow. I mean, I still maybe it was almost worse because I knew how it was supposed to work. I don't know, but I was so completely overwhelmed and then dismayed by the family dysfunction, quite frankly, you know, just when I needed a break and it's Mm -hmm. like I had to beg people to help me and I thought, wow, this is what families go through.
6: Well, and gosh darn it for people having their own opinions, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm I'm the expert here. I've been advocating my whole life (laughs) and now all of a sudden my mother has an opinion about how she wants her care to be delivered. How dare she? to navigate that right and my sister has one and my brother has one and my dad has one and now we all have our own opinions and what do we do with that Mm. and it just it, it can be quite exhausting and it can be quite confusing
0: So one of the things that I know families often struggle with related to the helplessness, you know, you get to the point where you realize for some family situations, I just can't do this alone anymore. So I need to now bring in some outside help, whether it's community-based care, whether it's residential long-term care. We need other players involved. And then suddenly you have issues that arise with bringing outside people in. You know, we all can deal with our own little internal dysfunction as family members the way we do. But then when we bring in outside organizations, it starts to feel helpless because now I have an outside person in that's helping my loved one who's in a very fragile condition, but I'm not exactly happy with how it's going. Mm. How do I bring that up without becoming, you know, a pimple on that person's face (laughs) (laughs) and and really being a pain in the butt? And and, and frankly, people worry about the fear of reprisal. If I complain about this one little itty bitty thing, is mom going to get terrible care in the future?
6: Yes. And, and I will share that in a, as a part of my professional journey, I was a patient advocate at a ma- major academic medical center, which means that I was the recipient of all complaints and grievances for a specific service Just line. Just a few, I'm sure. Um, there was n- very few. But... Um, <laughs> But So what that enabled me to do is understand what it feels like on both sides of concerns and and how to express them in a way that you're going to be heard. And I actually have a a quick little – I guess it's an acronym that I use that I borrowed from a, something called Team Steps, which is a safety team training. Uh, it's called CUSS. So, oh. <laughs> yes, which I, I hope that people can remember if they're feeling confused or frustrated, that they can cuss, and it stands for I'm in, I am concerned, I'm uncomfortable, I'm scared, and so basically, what you're doing is you're putting all of your concerns in I language, mm-hmm. so you're not blaming anybody or accusing anybody of anything, but you're also being really clear about what it is that's concerning you, what it is that is making you uncomfortable. And when you tell someone that you're scared, whether that's scared for the safety of or whether that's scared for the experience of or whatever that fear happens to be, that will really motivate the person who's listening to you the clinician perhaps to say "Ooh, this is this is something that i need to pay closer attention to uh, so for me using tools like that being really cognizant of how i express my concern is important it's also equally important not to decide to keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. um because you said the well, fear sphere of rep- repercussions uh I will say that I'm not going to say that that never, ever, 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 ever happens, Mm -hmm. but the frequency by which it does is almost imperceptible. Mm -hmm. Working inside of healthcare, I know that people crave that type of feedback because that is the only way we can improve. When it gets adversarial is when the concern is presented in a way that is assuming that you don't care or assuming that you did it on purpose.
0: And it's about going to the right person in tone. That's huge.
6: Person and tone.
0: Yes. That's a big piece of it.
2: Man, we're having a great conversation. I hate to break it up, but we do have to pay some bills around here. We've got (laughs) Tiffany Christensen in the studio with us. She is the vice president of experience and vice president for experience innovation with the Barrel Institute. And we're going to continue this conversation right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong.
2: News Radio 680 WPTF, this is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of transitions life care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest in the studio is Tiffany Christensen. She is the Vice President for Experience Innovation with the Barrel Institute. And we're having a conversation all about the, the patient experience and looking through this lens. And you know, Nicole, it's it's something that we hinted on earlier, but uh, it's it's one thing to kind of talk about and to think about, but it's a whole nother thing when you're in it.
0: You just got to watch those four-letter words.
2: That's right. <laughs> cuss. As, as, <laughs> t- Tiffany got me a little nervous for being on the radio, and the FCC in a and <laughs> talking about cuss, but uh, it, it was a different kind of cuss. It was a,
6: it was a, a very productive kind of cuss.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a place for it all, isn't there?
2: <laughs> just not on WPTF. Yeah,
0: I, under- I understand that we're not we're yes, we're not going to do that. So so let's talk a little bit more about diving deep into that because again you know whether a person's living in a skilled nursing facility, assisted living facility, whether they have a hospice or palliative care coming into their home or they're having private duty in-home care, you're engaging with other people who are trying to care for your loved one during a very emotionally taxing time and advocating for that family member in a way that is not does not make the person you're talking to feel defensive but more empowered is super important and I think part of it is also knowing who to go to. Yes,
6: yes And, and And also recognizing, uh, so there's a field of of study now in, in looking at not only the patient experience, not only the family experience, but also the staff and clinician experience. And what we know is that unfortunately, the level of burnout and compassion fatigue In healthcare today is at epidemic proportions. Mm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The system is very complicated. There's obviously a lot of uh, clinical demands, but even more so, um, administrative demands that are placed upon our providers. And it is causing a, a really challenging time in healthcare, not only for patients and families, but also for those who provide the care. So what I've witnessed is, um, and and I wanna just quickly say this word advocate is Mm -hmm. one that I've used a lot in my life, but I found that there's a, a word that I prefer, oh. and that is activated. Okay. Um, Advocate sometimes can feel adversarial. Mm-hmm. To say that I'm advocating for my loved one yeah. can sometimes feel like it's me against you. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. to say I'm an activated family member, meaning I am participating, I am willing to learn, I am mm-hmm. willing to, um, you know, sit down and have a conversation. I am going to support my loved one by, you know, whatever those tasks might be that I can do to be supportive. Uh, physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. So for me, and there's actually, and I won't go into this because it's too detail-y, sure. but um, there is actually a way to measure a level of activation that patients have. Not to the point of being
0: triggered. My son would say triggered <laughs> instead of activated. <laughs> uh, triggered. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No,
6: not that kind of activated. <laughs> no, but one that, that's actually a scale of one to four of sure. how activated you can be. So, so all of that to say that I think we are human beings taking care of human beings. Mm-hmm. And if you are feeling frustrated as a um, family member or as a patient, that is valid. Mm-hmm. And there's also a validity on the other side of the bed, which is that they are struggling with things that maybe you're not privy to. So always approaching each other with that level of understanding that I may not understand exactly what it is that you're going through. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you want to take a better, uh, better care of my loved one or of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now let's figure out how do we become a team to mm-hmm. accomplish that as opposed to how do we, you know, get on two s- opposite opposite ends of a spectrum and uh, feel like we're not on the same team.
0: And even, you know, such things as being aware of your body language, yes. you know, uh, Especially if you're dealing with more of the direct Caroline staff, when you're coming up with you know the, your concerns, you know just you know don't go in there with your arms across and a scowl on your face. That may be how you're feeling on uh, on the inside, but you know just coming in with more of an open o- mm-hmm. open body frame presence and mm-hmm. and and try to pick your times. Do I know some things you just can't wait? But I often try to teach this to my children. You know, don't come to me with a request while I'm in the middle of cooking dinner after I got home from a long day of work, yada, 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 yeah. yada. You got to pick your time, read the room, figure out when it's the right time to bring something up and a person would be willing to receive that type of a
6: message. Yes. Okay. And, and and like you said, who is the right person? Mm-hmm. Is it the nurse manager? Right. Is it a regulatory body? Right. Uh, you know, it really depends on the situation. And So that's where that activation comes into because you have to be educated enough to or at least curious enough mm-hmm. to understand the system and understand where you need to plug in to get the results that you're looking for.
0: And I will say I think a lot of our problems for lack of a better word uh, to use could be remedied or thwarted in advance is if we actually started focusing on having f- conversations with family members before the crisis. Yes. That advanced care planning, oh having conversations about what would you like if yes. you were in this situation and if it feels awkward to have when you see someone else close to you going through a situation, using yeah. that as a conversation yeah. opener. Aunt Jean just had a stroke and she That's had funny. a my feeding tube. my mom's name
6: is Jean. How oh, did you I'm know so that?
0: I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're synced. You know, but, but this this is what you know she experienced and this is what it looked like yes. for her. Is, is that the way you would want it to look
6: for you? Absolutely. You know, instead of just putting the onus on well, the person. Well, Nicole, I'll take it one step further, and I'll say it's time for our culture to stop being so wimpy about thinking uh, about death. I
0: agree. I mean, come I on. I like, know.
6: the fact that we wait until we're in our 80s and 90s to go, oh, this may not go on for infinity. It's mm-hmm. just mind-boggling. As a person who's grown up thinking about death my whole life, yeah. it's really hard for me to understand <laughs> how you get to be 86, and you didn't realize that at some point, there would be an end. You're activated on this issue, aren't you? I am very <laughs> activated. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, you know, my own
0: father, my mom passed away a year ago this past April. I was visiting him this summer, and God, he lives in New York and doesn't listen to the show. But I'm going to out him right now. He complained to me on my last visit that, you know, basically he's eating out of a can. Not for the fact that he can't cook, he just doesn't care to. He's one person now, he never really had to do it. So I was researching online kind of found like a hello fresh type thing mm. or whatever one of those meal prep companies and got him some nice meals delivered for, the, for for the holidays. Well, if that wasn't the worst thing I could have ever done, I he was so Why? because I was telling him he was not independent he couldn't do it for himself i mean but seriously so you can see what i'm going to be dealing with down the road here but you know so but for the reality of it is is you know ah we do have to get over some of this and we are all aging i need glasses my husband needs a hearing aid i mean let's get on with the show (laughs) but but seriously and we just need to face it and and have conversations because the damage that this does to the family yes. that remains behind after you go is sometimes something that cannot be repaired, well, and it's quite selfish, honestly, in my and, opinion. And not the, to the have level these of medical
6: interventions that we put people mm-hmm. through that are in, in more suffering than yeah. helpful, get off the merry ground. um, is mm-hmm. because we don't have these conversations ahead of time, and so we just throw the kitchen sink at them for the last you know, healthcare costs are what 80% of healthcare costs are at the end of life. Yep, so we're throwing the, the kitchen sink at people trying to give you know, dialysis and ventilation and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. and they probably wouldn't have wanted that right. had they had the conversation and gotten real ahead of time. So, exactly, we are on the same page, my friend,
0: uh, <laughs> preaching. So let's talk about the broader field of the patient experience briefly.
6: Yeah, so I think it's important for people to understand that this uh, world of patient satisfaction and patient experience is something that is highly intensely focused on right now in healthcare. And there are ways that family members and patients can be a part of that field of experience. So becoming a patient family advisor, telling your story, writing letters, giving feedback, um, real-time feedback, all of those things contribute to improving patient and family experience. And if you think that those things don't matter, I will tell you that is absolutely not true. We Revalue that feedback and we do make changes based on that feedback. So I would just encourage folks to, to look into the fact. Uh, you can go to the thebarrelinstitute.org, and it's not barrel as in I'm on a barrel going <laughs> over the falls. It's um, B-E-R-Y-L, which is a mineral. Um, so looking at you know different organizations that really amplify the voice of patients and families can teach you how to get involved in a way that's really meaningful and will change the landscape of healthcare.
0: So if you've liked what you heard from Tiffany today, um, I encourage you to come on out to the upcoming Caregiver Summit on June 6th at the Sheraton Imperial. Uh, The uh, website is caregiversummit.org. She is actually one of our opening session speakers and is going to be talking to us more about the patient experience. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. This has been fun.
2: Phenomenal job, Tiffany. Thank you so much for coming in. Again, caregiversummit.org, the website to find more information about the upcoming summit. If you want to hear more from tiffany it's a great place to go uh, registration is open for all the sessions so go head on over there right now caregivers uh, excuse me yeah Caregiversummit.org. and i want to thank tiffany christensen again for coming on the vice president for experience innovation with the barrel institute more information online at the barrel remember barrel spelled b-e-r YL a great website there a wonderful resource we're out of time for today thank you so much for listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf have a wonderful
1: night you've been listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on news radio 680 wptf for more information log on transitionslifecare.org